My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Um, I am uh, thrilled to have Mark Osnick with me. Mark is the uh, the CEO of a company called Rotorcraft Nuco. Uh, I've known Mark for the better part of a decade. He's the uh, founding uh, entrepreneur for HeliFlight, uh, which is a helicopter transportation service up in New York. And I've also got Peter Schmidt with me. Peter is the COO of Transcend Air. And uh, for you following the uh, the VTOL market, Transcend Air is developing a uh, prototype aircraft. Uh, it's a, uh, a tilt wing aircraft to, uh, to, you know, to meet a new generation of, uh, of, of VTOL and urban mobility needs. So, hey guys. Howdy. Welcome, welcome on board. Thanks for coming today. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having us, Greg. So, uh, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of news. Let's talk about let's talk about this first. There's a lot of news out there right now about urban mobility, and there's a lot of a lot of people coming into the market using you know battery powered or you know, electric powered air vehicles. You're bringing a different concept to it with your your product, PT6 powered or 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 G G you know GECT 700 powered um, type aircraft. What's uh, what's your vision of urban mobility now and you know for the next 20 years? So let me talk about two different markets. There is a purely urban market where you're moving people across a city or a metroplex, and then there's an, a city to city market. Uh, Urban planners tell me that the world is evolving into an interconnected set of mega city regions that um, actually where the trade within a larger set of cities is becoming more and more important. So the Northeast in the United States is a huge mega city region from Washington DC up through Boston. Um, and serving that requires, uh, with a VTOL aircraft, requires an aircraft with uh, a 500 mile kind of range, not a 50 mile kind of range. So we set out to take what's a proven existing travel market, which is business travelers and leisure travelers going from one city to another, um, and serve that with a novel VTOL aircraft, the aircraft we've called the VI-400, because uh, it goes 400 miles, I mean 400 miles an hour for 400 nautical miles. Um, and what that aircraft lets us do is it lets us break through the barriers of congestion that are currently choking the growth of transportation in these megacity regions. Um, by moving the transportation resource closer to the demand. So what do I mean by that? Right now, if you wanna fly somewhere, you have to go to an airport and you spend a lot of time in an Uber or a taxi getting there. Um, then you wait in line at a parking garage, you wait in line at security, you wait in line at the gate, you wait in line in the aisle of the airliner, and then the process goes in reverse to get somewhere. So even if the flight in this area is only 30, 40 minutes, your door to door time is four or five hours. Right. So the way we bust that way we bust through that barrier is we take smaller aircraft and barge-based floating landing pads, and we put them in the waterfronts of major cities, and we bring that transportation resource near to where people's office buildings are. So a good, great example is the Wall Street heliport in Manhattan. 
Wall Street Heliport is a 15-minute walk from the stock exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, and it serves hundreds of takeoffs and landings per day already. Uh, and so we envision scaling that up. Um, and that, that's how I met Mark originally. So, Peter, let me uh, uh, just kind of add to that, if you will. So in 1998, I founded uh, HelloFlight Shares. And HelloFlight Shares' uh, business model really hasn't changed in, in two decades. It was uh, set up to do regional transportation using rotary wing aircraft. And the rotary wing aircraft we decided to use were, were uh, we'll call all-weather, uh, two-pilot cabin class aircraft. And um, typical flights that we do, we do New York to Washington, we do New York to Philadelphia, we do New York to Boston, and we do uh, New York to the Hamptons and private residences. So when I first found out about Transcend and the Vive 400, um, I felt that, that that aircraft, because it was being designed by uh, Peter and his, his business colleague, Greg Brule, uh, who have looked at this from the ground up and how to make money in this business, uh, have come up with just a killer design. And uh, my opinion is that uh, the Vi will uh, will step in as the game changer, kind of as the, uh, as the paradigm shift uh, uh, platform to allow uh, uh, greater uh, distances to be uh, traversed at less time at a lower cost, therefore making the operators more money. And uh, that aircraft, in my opinion, could serve what, what's being considered today as the urban mobility uh, market, which is the inner city, let's say uh, uh, inner uh, Los Angeles or inner Bay Area or Sao Paulo or uh, London, Paris. So the aircraft offers uh, more mission capability at a price point that makes money. Let me jump in on that too, Mark. So we, we designed this aircraft to go from one city to another. And uh, to compare to current helicopters, you know, if you fly one of these medium twin helicopters, cabin class executive aircraft, from Boston to New York, um, you know, the minimum price you're gonna have to charge for that per seat is on the order of six, $700. Uh, and that's a lot of money for people. It's not competitive with getting on the Delta shuttle, even when you take into account the cost of getting in an Uber to and from the airport. So that's why you don't see a mass market in this sort of helicopter transport right now. It's just the price point's too high. Right. With our aircraft, we designed it to a price point that would be competitive. So on that, our canonical Boston to New York route, um, we can offer an average price of $283 one way. Now, that is obviously less than half as much as the best you can do with a helicopter. Mm -hmm. uh, turns out also to be less than an Uber to Logan Airport, the Delta shuttle to LaGuardia, and an Uber to Wall Street. So that's what unlocks mass market for us with this aircraft. And the economics of it are just, you know, when you're flying on a wing, you're more efficient. Yep. So that's what we designed it for originally, was this city-to-city -city market. And Mark was the one who said, hey, you know, based on my experience at Heliflight, I really think that this aircraft can apply in the urban air mobility, the within-city mission. Mm -hmm. So we've done some modeling of that. And um, it turns out that for the kind of airport transfer service that Uber is doing now with Heliflight and that Blade has been doing with AAG, um, the Vi turns out to be the cheapest alternative there is right now. Right. It's cheaper than doing it with a little Robinson R44 piston helicopter. It's also cheaper than proposed electric EV tall aircraft. I mean, there's enough public data out there that I was able to model in an all electric EV tall on that mission. And it really suffers because of the limited payload. Uh, mm -hmm. That means few passengers. 
So it ends up being as expensive as flying an AW-139 with two crew. Right. Yeah. So, Peter, if you have a moment, why don't you describe to the audience what the Vi-400 is? Yeah. So the Vi-400, you can describe it a couple different ways. From a market perspective, when we certify this aircraft, it will immediately be both the world's fastest helicopter and the world's fastest single-engine civil turboprop. So what does that really mean? Um, we're, it's a six-place turbine engine-powered mechanical drivetrain, two main propeller, single electric tail fan, tilt wing, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. So that, that's a big mouthful. But technically, there's a, of, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there, yeah. So the aircraft, uh, you can think of it as having been enabled by 60 years of technology development um, since the, the 60s. Uh, especially better structures, manufacturing technology, uh, higher power to weight jet engines, um, and fly-by-wire flight control. Okay. So from a aircraft nerd perspective, um, those are all key innovations that allow us to take the tilt wing platform, which was flown successfully in the 1960s by several companies, the CL-84, Canadair, the XC-142, um, these were successful aircraft that flew well, but they weren't adopted for various economic and political reasons at the time. But part of that was performance reasons, which have been overcome by these technology advances. So our aircraft gets to benefit from 60 years of uh, better power to weight. Right. Um, a, key, a key factor in the enhanced safety and performance of our aircraft is the advent of the whole airframe parachute, which uh, Boris Popov and Ballistic Recovery Systems invented 20 years ago has been flying for almost 20 years in Cirrus uh, light piston aircraft and now the Cirrus Vision Jet. Okay. The whole airframe parachute means that if anything really bad happens, um, a parachute pops out of the aircraft and the whole thing floats down to the ground. Safe. Right. Much like the Cirrus has. But, but you know, you've got, you know, the interesting thing about the tilt wing is the, you know, the V-22 started out as a, you know, there was a lot of learning. There's a, a huge learning curve. Yep. With the V-22, but now it's become, you know, game changer for, you know, the Marines and Special Forces and the technology is proven. Well, let's talk about that for a second, Craig, if I, if I may. So the V-22 um, is an is a excellent platform. It's a great platform, but it was designed for military mission. Right. And the Bell 609, or now the Augusta Westland 609, the technology really is the same. They right. just scaled it down. But there's so much complexity in that design, it drives high acquisition costs and high operating costs. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not really optimized for what um, we'll call Rotorcraft Nuco would like to see as an operator of these from a, from a price standpoint. If you were talking about a, you know, the uh, Augusta Weston 609 uh, tilt rotor as a $22 million aircraft, right. and we're thinking about a price under $5 million. Yeah, well, that's I think that's where I was getting to was that the you know I think what you're what you're talking about is that the the technology yours is not a revolutionary technology it's more of an evolutionary technology right exactly right and you talk about you know you know can you build it for six million bucks and still be profitable I mean that's the uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely you know, that's that's the question is that you know you, you you know when I look at when I look at the the price point of a Cirrus today you know it's just a Cirrus SR twenty two is yeah 800k pushing a million bucks you guys are starting yeah. to talk about you know twin engines and a uh, or a, a, you know, no twin props and a, and a single twin props and a single engine yeah you know, can you can you build it. Oh, we can. And, and so the comparables to look at are um, 
So like I said, it's, it's a single engine helicopter or it's a turboprop. Mm-hmm. So you look at the prices for representative um, aircraft in that class that are the sort of same size. Um, and so we fit right in. In fact, in, in base trim, uh, the aircraft price would actually be more around three and a half million. So that's less than a Pilatus. It's less than a King Air. It's mm-hmm. about the same as a TBM. It's a bit more than an H125. It's about the same as a Bell 407. Right. Um, you know, we've shown our design and the bill of materials that we have for that design to several airframers now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've all said, yeah, yeah, that's about right. Uh, and in fact, there's a, an aircraft designer friend of mine pointed out that there is a, there are a couple sort of laws, if you will. Uh, they're really correlations, but they apply broadly to aircraft. And one is you can take the length of an aircraft and that's going to pretty much determine its empty weight and its max gross weight and also its cost to a very large degree because everybody's using the same aluminum or carbon fiber. Everybody's Mm -hmm. using the same turbine engines. Air doesn't change for anybody else. Right. (laughs) You know, everybody's trying to minimize weight for their operating. So Mm -hmm. you end up with this, you know, this curve, which is basically a straight line. Um, And you can apply that. And I've done that. I have a blog post where I I compared our aircraft to TBM, Cessna Caravan, a Pilatus PC-12. And we fit right on that line. Okay. And uh, interestingly enough, there's some other designs out there that do not fit on that line, which makes me really think that those designs are not going to work. Part of it is, like I said, you know, you know we, we talked about this before we started recording, you know, the, the G700. You know, all of a sudden now you're talking about, you know, 7,000 miles at Mach 9.2, you yep. know, fast airplane, big fast airplanes, the, uh, the Global 7500, same thing. You know, all this, the cabins are all now pushing 737 sizes. I mean, literally now you, you go anymore, you're into a BBJ. What's the next, you know, what's the next evolution in, you know, business jet travel? And, and is it a stand-up light jet, you know, a light jet with a, with a comfortable cabin? Or is it a point-to-point airplane, much like you guys are proposing with your Vi 400, that gets somebody from the Wall Street heliport to downtown D.C. or at least Reagan National, you know, I think it's, uh, without think- going to Teterboro? Yeah, Craig, obviously we think it's the point-to-point aircraft and, and here's a couple scenarios. So let's say that you have your uh, G550 on the ramp at Teterboro on a Friday afternoon and uh, you get out to the airport after a, you know, a, a black car ride or a limo ride out to Teterboro. You have to wait an hour plus for your clearance right. to get out. And let's say that you're going to go to Chicago or you're going down to Philly or mm-hmm. going to D.C. or even you know points further than that. It's terribly... Uh, inefficient from a time perspective and that's what you're that's why you have that asset is to get out so um the the vi um rotorcraft nucos model using rotorcraft initially and then the vi later which is our plan mm-hmm. really uh opens up the opportunity to uh, have transportation options that are more uh you know useful of time useful mm-hmm. of, a, of, a, of a company or an asset's time so we think the Vi will not only do um, uh, that city to city, but the uh, in, the interurban airport transfer stuff much much more efficiently mm-hmm. and give an operator uh, an advantage. So let's say you're in New York, and you um, instead of leaving Teterboro, you could leave Stewart. So you could mm-hmm. hop in a one of the Rotorcraft Nuco helicopters or in the Vi and get up to Stewart in a matter of minutes, and then you can be on your way without right. it. So the Vi really will de-stress the ATC system. Okay. 
mm-hmm. by uh, putting more of the regional transportation at, at a, say, like a, a flight level, you know, 120 or a flight level 150 on those regional trips rather than having jet traffic compete for that limited space. And it was also those airport, um, airport slots. And Peter, I think you might want to add to that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the concept to me makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think my, where I've been struggling with a lot of the, you know, the urban mobility market is when I look at what Uber is trying to do with, you know, or, or Cora or some of these, you know, these other companies with the electric powered air vehicles, nobody to me has defined what urban mobility is. Is it Susie going from her home to the grocery store? Probably not. Is it, um, is it going from, you know, downtown New York to JFK or LaGuardia? Mark, you already know that. You already know that market with, with HelloFlight shares. Um, you know, I think you guys, you know, what you guys are saying is, hey, look, you know, a lot of the air traffic, you know, that we, we talk about, especially L.A. to Las Vegas, L.A. to the Bay Area, which requires a drive to now, you know, Burbank or Orange County or LAX with a you know, flight. You know, you, you eliminate a lot of that hassle and, uh, you know, the, the technology is coming on strong. Yeah, you know, what do you think it costs to get this thing time wise? you know, uh, uh, you know, time to development? Well, there's two different pieces. So there's there's getting the VI aircraft certified and entered into service. Um, there's also standing up Rotorcraft Nuco um, and having that as a platform. Right. So, um, you know, in terms of the VI, uh, you know, we've got a few million dollars in seed funding to have gotten us to this point. And uh, it's no secret that our next phase is our Series A round, um, to build a full-scale manned prototype aircraft. Mm-hmm. You know, we're currently flying fifth-scale prototypes that are the 15th in a lineage of flying prototypes, including what 2,000-pound manned prototype that we, we built and flew at a predecessor company. So you know, th- we've been doing this for a long time. Depending on you count, it's, it's been over a decade now. So we're, we're getting there. Um, so you know, there's, there's some tens of millions of dollars to get flying prototypes to right. prove the concept definitively. Um, and then from there, you know, it's, it's hundreds of millions of dollars to get to, uh, production, production certificate and type certificate, but it's less, it's less than what the eVTOL companies are looking at. And the reason for that is certification costs are driven by how much you have to test and prove is safe. Right. Our aircraft uses literally all off the shelf components, the, except for the specific software implementing our flight control laws. Mm-hmm. and the specific gears in our three gearboxes. But neither of those are cutting edge from the standpoint of like we're inventing something nobody's ever done. We're right. just doing a different version of stuff that already exists. Right. And this is key to the economic value proposition. There, are a lot of, there have been a lot of cool aircraft designs that never made it into production because they didn't have the right value proposition. It wasn't going to be enough value. Uh, or they were just too costly to certify and you couldn't mm-hmm. get there. Right. Well, the Eclipse was one of those airplanes. I mean, you know, the Eclipse was a, was a, was a, you know, look, it was a neat little concept. I was never real, you know, I was never a real fan of the quote unquote VLJ. Yeah. Um, you know, Eclipse was a, you know, kind of was a cool concept, but it, it really couldn't carry any payload and it didn't have any range. And it was, you could sit there and see it was going to be 3 million bucks by the time it was all, yeah. all said and all said and done. All said and done. Um, yeah. You know, and, 
And so we learned from that. I mean, I, I have the stripes on my back from that aircraft specifically. Right. I came into the industry trying to make money with Eclipse jets and uh, can't be done. Yep. No. And, 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 you know, 200 of them are built and, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun aircraft to fly around, but um, you know, what happens with these waves of economic innovation is you, and, and I saw this in high tech, but we can also, I can point to this example in aviation. So people get excited about the potential of some new enabling technology. And I think what's driven the Uber and the urban air mobility electric VTOL space Quite honestly, was people getting DJI drones under their Christmas tree. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree <laughs> with like, you. They're like, wow, scale this up. We can put people in it. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not, A, it's not that simple. And B, you know, we absolutely agree that the future of aviation is electric. No question. But, you know, Xerox built a personal computer in the 1970s with a three-button mouse. Mm-hmm. Xerox is not Apple right? They're the pioneers with the arrows in their back. Right. And uh, Eclipse kicked off, they were the most notable and sort of the, the, av- the stone that started the avalanche of VLJ activity in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. You know what aircraft ends up as being the only successful VLJ to market? Cirrus Vision Jet. Yep. Over a decade later. Yep. And that's because Dale and Cirrus were brilliant in understanding a market uh, and it's SR-22 pilots who want to upgrade to higher performance and speed. Right. They built their own market, and then they create an aircraft to serve it. That was brilliant. The, the notions behind that powered the VLJ market were, I mean, from an aircraft standpoint, veteran insiders looked at it and knew, that's not a million-dollar aircraft. It's a $3 million aircraft. So, Peter, let me, at, let me add to that, if, if I may. Yeah, please. please. So, and we were trying to talk about earlier, Craig, what's urban mobility and it's this kind of nebulous uh, uh, concept right now that's been uh, really been advocated by Uber. Uh, it's, it's, it was obvious to me when we put Rotocraft Nuco together that, that none of the airframers really are talking to operators. Who are the operators of this? Yeah. What are they going to use it for? What's the market? What's the customer demographic look like? What are people willing to pay? How do you segment the marketplace? So Rotocraft Nuco has done all this, right? So, um, in the United States, Rotorcraft Nuco, which is an acquisition platform uh, to go out and acquire VVIP helicopter operators. And we have a significant uh, amount of money behind us, over $100 million mm-hmm. to go out and acquire companies, is going to help define what urban mobility is and what platform is best suited to that market, whatever that market is, turns out to be, and how to make money in it and how to provide safe and reliable transportation to that customer base. So this is why um, my, my interest in Transcend came to the light, because Transcend has always said, look, we want to we develop the concept. We want to we go through a, 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 a strategy very similar to what Arion did. Right. To license production, certification production to an airframer. That's Transcend's model. Transcend and, and Peter and Greg, who founded Transcend, really don't want to build these aircraft. They want to license, they want to operate them. So that's how Peter and Greg and I came together as kind of like-minded executives that are going to take what will be the Vi 400 in the future and actually have another airframe build it and we'll buy it. And okay. It. Well, yeah, I mean, look, and, and Peter, much to your, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, you know, you, you think about, you know, 
I could have urban mobility today with an R44. I just can't make any. I just can't make any money. Yeah, off it. Money it, ex yeah. it exists, and and I could I could go get an R44 for probably seven hundred thousand bucks and fly it between John Wayne and and LAX and and go broke in the and go broke in the meantime. But yeah. um, and people do, and people do. You know, you know, now the technology is such that you know it's not even the technology. It's like you say, you're doing it off the shelf type. What's the, you know, what's the, what do you, what do you think your plan is? You're, you're going through your series A, you've got some investors um, and, and, and you've got some deep pockets behind you. Yeah. Do you, do you develop the, do you develop the platform? Do you develop, you know, the, the aircraft and then get a Gulfstream or a Textron involved in it to take it to the next level? Do you, try to do it yourselves what do you uh what, well, what do you think the future transcend looks like in 10 five ten years yeah no that's a great question so as mark said we don't want to be the aircraft manufacturer we want an experienced aircraft manufacturer with all of the plant personnel equipment relationships with the faa track record of successful certifications to invest in our program to actually take it over um and manufacture and certify it and then sell it to us so one way to look at this business model is it's like the uh, area model or it's the Apple model. Apple doesn't manufacture their hardware. They design it. Right. And then they, they sell it to people and then they offer downstream services. Mm -hmm. So that's our model. So, you know, we, we, our vision is to offer the downstream services. And what turns out to be a bit unique about how we developed this aircraft is we started with a price point and we designed the aircraft from that. So we, we didn't start as aircraft enthusiasts or aircraft manufacturers. As Mark said, it keeps surprising us, but aircraft manufacturers don't talk to operators. We just, Mark just, talked to uh, one of the major eVTOL contenders to get a briefing on their aircraft. And we said, okay, are the battery packs swappable in operation? Mm. And they said, no, no. And we're like, okay, then it's impossible for us to make money with your aircraft. Yeah, it's got to sit for how long does the airplane have to sit while yeah, in between yeah. flights to, to recharge? I mean, it's... And, and it can only, it can only, yeah, it, you know, I, in my model, by the way, I said I modeled an eVTOL uh, transfer service. I assumed that that aircraft had five swappable battery packs. So one in the aircraft, two at each end with a charging to uh, leg flight time interval such that you could keep swapping and go continuously. I mean, if I can't go continuously, it cuts the number of trips that capital equipment can do down from maybe nine a day to like two. Right. <laughs> it's just silly. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry for being indignant, but having come from an operator background, you know, you know what another one is? I look at, um, I look at some companies publishing uh, economics for the, their proposed aircraft. They don't have any landing fees in their operating costs. Yeah. Like, excuse me. That's the whole reason airports exist is to charge you landing fees. Right. That's their revenue model. <laughs> yeah. So um, getting back to where we're going to go, my goal is, or our goal is, I should say, uh, to close our Series A this year, get the prototype program going. Um, and uh, if all goes according to a plan, which is eh, a realistic plan, uh, entry into service will happen in 2025. Okay. And uh, we, we want to go after two markets with the aircraft. We want to go after the markets served by HelloFlight that Mark knows so well and that Rotorcraft Nuco is going to be going after, which is uh, the proven profitable market for operating Rotorcraft, which is VIP service. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then as the VI comes online with its superior operating economics, there's an opportunity to expand that market by having it be somewhat more affordable. Right. Um, and then, of course, the other thing we want to go after is the airlines and Uber. By, cap, by taking money away from airline tickets and ground transportation, um, we can offer a price competitive service for some niche of the already proven city to city business travel market. What about just the, you know, the guy who flies a, you know, a light jet now? I mean, how many, you know, we were, I was talking to uh, Brian Foley a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Arion, the market for Arion was 300 aircraft over 10 years. What about yeah. just the, yeah, the private, the guy who's, you know, looking for his own, you know, light yeah. aircraft uh, to replace his Lear 31 or his, his beach jet or his Pilatus or whatever, whatever he's flying now. We'll, we'll, you think we'll sell some of those. We'll sell some of those, but we're really targeting people to buy helicopters today. Okay. Because in order to achieve the goals for this aircraft, I mean, so here's one of the lessons we learned looking at other aircraft programs were that um, your typical aircraft program, both military and civil, uh, gets worried about selling enough units and they try to expand their missions too early which adds uh, too many requirements, mm -hmm. many that compete with each other, which increases certification cost and risk. And you tend to end up with compromised designs that don't do anything really well. So right. we're like, okay, we're gonna avoid that because we know, we know that this airline mission is a 20 plus billion dollar market in the US alone. So we don't need to go chasing other requirements and we haven't. Uh, but what that means is, you know, when you get excited about the idea of vertical takeoff and landing, you know, there's no free lunch in engineering. Right? This isn't magic. So what are you right. trading for vertical takeoff and landing? Well, in our case, you're trading range. Mm -hmm. We made the aircraft fast, but it doesn't go very far. It only goes 400 nautical miles. Right? So if you have a fixed-wing aircraft, my, uh, my tenure in business aviation taught me people buy their fixed-wing aircraft for that 10% mission. You know, even if the vast majority of their missions are 400 miles, Right. Twice a year, they load up the family and they fly to, you know, they fly to Vail or they fly to Whistler. Right. And they justify that purchase in their heads and with their, with their wife on that basis. So they can't buy something that can't do that mission. So I don't really expect people to get out of fixed wing biz jets and get in a buy. I do expect them to get out of helicopters and get in a buy. Right. And people, I expect, I expect that uh, the buy would be a great, uh, we'll call it fractionalized aircraft option where if you need that flexibility and you can own a fraction in it or you can mm -hmm. uh, buy a card and a program, this is what Rotocraft Nuco is contemplating, or just on-demand charter, that really works because it's a, it's a uh, uh, mission multiplier. Yeah, well, talk about how you saw people buy that at Heliflame. You know? Yeah, exactly. So uh, we have many people that, that owned uh, uh, large cabin aircraft, Challengers, Gulfstreams, Falcons, that uh, didn't want to fire up the, you know, the, the Falcon 2000 to fly from Teterboro to the Hamptons. They right. didn't want to drive. So the helicopter was a great, a great product. Mm -hmm. And it was at a price point that, that uh, the customers found value. And that price point was you know, about you know, north of $6,000 an hour. Yep. And, you know, we can make money at that price point. So... Um, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we found, uh, corporations that had large cabin jets that needed that regional point to point uh, capability that were either buying fractional interest right. in Heliflight or a helicard or just doing on-demand charter with us mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, we, uh, trained our pilots and had our, 
OPSPECs written to a level that, uh, that matched theirs. So safety, service, quality of aircraft really worked very well for us. And, uh, and uh, where a flight department or individual would be reluctant to buy a helicopter because of the capital costs, the operating costs, this really worked out really well. Yep. We think we'll see the same thing for the buy. For those kind of individual uh, uses. Well, like I said, you know, it, it comes down to you know, you know the, the the technology is already there. It's just how yeah. do we how do we put it all together and make you know make the mission work? Um, you know, last question. So you know the uh, the Hamptons getting um, a little bit. Uh, you know, they're they're getting a little uppity up there <laughs> um, with the environmental issues. Um, how do you how do you overcome the the ancillary stuff that has nothing to do with the airplane, but you know, has everything to do with some of the environmental issues, the noise issues, and things like that. Let me address that, Peter, if I could, please. And Craig, that's a great question. So, aviation's had that problem since the airplane was invented, right? Um, so, I think it's a matter of being transparent with the public and municipalities. Mm-hmm. And so, the Hamptons, for example, um, we already have a very strong fly neighborly program in place for operations in the Northeast, specifically out out to the Hamptons where there are specific uh, helicopter routes uh, at specific altitudes to limit overflying populated areas and minimizing noise impact. If we were to take, or when we take this product to the West Coast, we'll do similarly, all right? And make sure that we, uh, we work uh, to fly neighborly. The Vi-400 is an interesting aircraft because it offers an additional performance capability where you can actually, say if you're leaving East Hampton Airport, you can get up high very quickly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you can be at a higher altitude when you transition out of the airport airspace. And that really minimizes the, um, the noise. And, and just by definition, the VI, uh, as a till-wing aircraft, has a, less, has a less noise footprint than a helicopter does. And Peter, want to add to that? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, Mark. And just to put some numbers on it, um, a, a, you know, a, a VIP helicopter exiting the Hamptons can climb out about 1,500 feet per minute, and it needs to be going forward to do that. Right. Um, the VI can go straight up at over 4,500 feet per minute at max gross. So we can be out of earshot in under 30 seconds. And part of the operating model for our aircraft is never low and loud over people. So we won't, we won't promote landing on rooftop helipads because you're going to be bothering people nearby. There are underutilized public resources that this aircraft gives us access to. Uh, Mark talked about the airspace between, um, you know, sort of 12,000, 20,000 feet. It's currently not really used by anybody. Right. It's designed to make use of that airspace. That's where it's happy. Um, and similarly, I talked about waterfronts. So in operating out of cities, most major cities in the world were developed around water-based transportation. And 150 years ago, those were full of docks and a forest of masts. And now mm-hmm. they're empty. Um, we can bring some life back to that and use it as a transportation resource. Uh, and that means that our approaches, anytime we're down low, for the brief time we're down low, uh, we're out over the water. So, okay. you know, these, these are real concerns people have, and we respect those, and we've taken them in heavily into account in the design. You know, another thing I want to point out is um, it's well understood by rotorcraft pros that the tail rotor on a helicopter is the noisiest part of it. Um, the way, if you've ever been, also, if you've ever been in a real big aircraft shop or hangar where people are doing maintenance, You'll have seen, they don't have a bunch of little box fans around blowing air around to cool them. They've got a giant, very slow turning helicopter rotor sized fan on the ceiling that turns slowly to move the air. So um, 
one of the problems with distributed electric propulsion is it pushes people to use a lot of small fans. Small fans are more noisy. So one right. of the advantages of our design is that we've got two big propellers that we turn pretty slowly. Uh, you know, the tip speed is 0.5 Mach in the hover. And I'm told by experts that that means that's quiet. Sure. Below, below 0.6 is considered to be good. So I don't expect the, you know, the vise, it's going to make noise. It's going to sound something like a King Air. Um, but it's not going to have that low frequency wop, wop, wop that helicopters have that people mm -hmm. hear coming that, you know, radar from MASH used to hear. Um, that, you know, annoys people in their houses. Uh, it won't have that. You know, our model is we're going to come in over the Hamptons really high and basically come straight down. And then we're going to depart straight up and go out of there. We won't be over anybody's houses. Gotcha. So, so tell me about, so you're saying entry into service in 2025. That's the goal. Yep. You've got some prototypes flying now. Yep. When do you think you, you, you go for your transition from prototypes into building a full scale Air, you know, aircraft, are you 2021, 2022 yeah. by the time you yep. do that? Yep. No, um, end of 2021 uh, would be when we should have, a, if we get funded, you know, in the time frame, I'm hoping we will right now. Um, end of 2021, we should have a full scale manned prototype aircraft turning propellers. Okay. Um, and we should be more or less done with flight test of that and another aircraft and ground test vehicle um, later, uh, you know, 20 mid 2022 kind of time frame. Okay. Yep. And then entry service 2025. It's pretty yeah. it's an exciting project. I mean, it's a uh, Yeah. Well, uh, can I say one other thing I'm excited about? Yeah, please. So, we did trade studies as one does and we looked at electric propulsion. You know, there's some nice advantages to having electric motors in the nacelles driving your propellers. Sure. Um, it turns out that putting motors out in the nacelles and power wires running out there versus mechanical drivetrains and gearboxes is actually heavier. It's lighter to do it mechanically. Because, you know, people's intuition is that electric wires are small and light, mm -hmm. but not when you're putting most of a megawatt through them. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a big bundle. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, you know, you can go high voltage to try and reduce the current load, but then you've got arcing questions. I mean, it's, it's hard. And there are people who are solving that problem, but it turns out in our trade studies, it's less weight to keep put the mechanical drivetrain. And it's a simple mechanical drivetrain. It's not like a helicopter rotor head. It's orders of magnitude, literally orders of magnitude less complex. So to electrify a VI, when the day comes that there's been a breakthrough in battery technology, we simply take the jet engine out, we put a big electric motor in its place, turning the same drivetrain. Take the fuel tank out, we put batteries in its place. Those have all been designed into the CG so we can do this. We'll be able to electrify VIs in the field via an STC because none of the performance is going to change. Okay. So that's something else I'm excited about because, like I said, we agree the future is electric. We just don't know when it's going to be here, and we don't want to place that bet right now. We don't have to. We've got a design where we can start out with turbine, and we can go to electric seamlessly when it comes. And that's one of the things that attracted me, Craig, as an operator that uh, just, just the uh, kind of the forward-looking plan to maximize the ability to do the mission with this aircraft is just phenomenal. And I might add, too, on Rotocraft Nuco, we expect to be operational with our first acquisition by the end of June. Yeah, be, you, know, you and I talked a little bit about that, and we'll keep that to ourselves, but uh, sounds like you guys got some exciting plans down the road. We do. Absolutely. Absolutely.
So yeah. good. So I look forward to uh, seeing some great press releases out of both of you guys with uh, Rotocraft <laughs> Nuco and uh, Transcend Air. Yep. Um, how do website is Transcend T R A N S C E N D dot arrow? Am I correct, uh, Peter? A E R O. Yep. That's that's the website. And uh, we also feature our VIP aircraft configuration at vy400.com. Okay, vy400.com. Yep, vy400.com. Great. Thanks for coming on, guys. It sounds like uh, some, uh, some great new stuff coming out in, uh, in urban mobility. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at northstaresg.com, or check us out at www.northstaresg.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.